Amen, everybody, huh? Amen. God is good. All the time. Amen. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I got to change gears here a little bit, get into this. But uh, has anybody ever gotten into a meeting or some kind of position at work and you just kind of wish that you had kept your mouth shut? <laughs> well, that was me this week. We were at our worship meeting on Tuesday, and uh, Dell was kind of saying, well, I'm not really sure what I would preach on. And I was very quick to jump in and say, well, if it were me, I would preach on. And he said, well, it sounds like the Lord's really laid something on your heart. <laughs> so here I am, I would tell you, um, truthfully, in that moment, every part of my earthly being was just shriveling up. And I was like, nope, nope can't do this. I had a million excuses of why not. And I think the problem was then in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, what are these excuses going down one by one? And all of them were really just reasons for myself that I didn't want to do it. I think one of the biggest ones is I think it's been like two years since I've preached here. And in my head, I always had this plan of like, oh, I was going to know a lot in advance. I was going to have plenty of time. I was going to prep and create this perfectly crafted, amazing sermon. But I think really all of that was just for my own self, right? I wanted to look good. I wanted it to be amazing. I wanted it for my own purpose. But God has other plans, I think, and a sense of humor. So he says, you know what? You're going to find out Tuesday. You're going to do this sermon. And I think it's going to be good. I remember there was a time um, a while back when basically I had the opportunity to lead worship with somebody. And uh, I didn't take it. We were like, no, I don't really want to. I don't feel like it. We're tired. And um, just kind of a selfish teenager, truthfully. And I didn't want to do it. And uh, i never forget, somebody came up to me, and he basically, in love, said, you know, what, what would have happened if the little boy with his two, uh, two loaves and five fishes had just kept them for himself? And Jesus had said, you know, does anyone have food? Bring it to me. And he was like, you know what? I have food. I'm going to eat my lunch. Um, and I just, it really stuck with me, just kind of keeping things for ourselves or because of our own fear of what uh, we would do. We just kind of hold on to it, right? And we don't let it go. And that way... It's always better. So this is me letting go. This is me trying to be faithful, letting go of my lunch. And uh, hopefully not up here, right? But letting go of my lunch in faith and letting God do uh, what he's going to do with this sermon. So uh, let's pray. I know I need it. God, I just pray um, thanks, first of all, for what this morning has been, God. I thank you for just uh, the encouragement of hearing your people praise you, God. I thank you for um, those truths that we sang together, that you are God, you are good, that you loved this world, God that you gave your only begotten son. I pray, God, that you would just uh, use me in this time, that it would not be um, the foolish things that I would say up here, God, but that it would be from you and your purpose and your truth, that those things would be what people hear and what they remember, and that you would use it to change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about these four values around this room. We have the love, live, give, and go. And um, I think it's funny kind of today being the first day of Lent, we're starting this season of just kind of looking more intently at God. We've just looked at what our values are as a church. We have our annual meeting after this. It seems like a big day of starting things here in this church. And I think it's great to remember that this church is not the building or the walls or the roof or any of the things, but it's the people inside here. And that if we hope to accomplish anything as a church, we need to first look at accomplishing things as ourselves and with our walk with Jesus Christ. Um, kind of maybe a downer verse that came to my mind in thinking about all these things, but this is Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
John 15, 5 says, For I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does that mean or look like for us to remain in Christ? I think we all want that as a church. We want that as individuals, that we remain in Christ. The ESV version says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So God calls us that we are to remain in Jesus, we are to abide in him. Now the definition of abide is to accept or act in accordance with a rule, decision, or recommendation. Now it might seem obvious that if there's anyone whose rule or recommendation that we should follow, it would be Jesus. But uh, I think it's, we would find that it's consistently hard to act on that in everyday life, Amen. Now, we as a staff have been going through this book called With, with Sky Jathani, and I think it's funny, it's, I feel like kind of an inside joke whenever somebody brings up something from that, and you kind of notice it, and you're like, oh, you're reading that book too, huh? And things point out, but uh, early in the book, he has this ways that we relate to God, kind of look at the wrong ways that we relate to God. We want things for, from him, we want things for our own gain, but God is this relational God, and he wants to experience life with him. He wants us to experience life with him. I was thinking kind of the beginning of us experiencing life with God is this symbol that we use around here, which is baptism. So that's not necessarily the thing that saves you. We just use that as an outward expression of an inward reality. And that is when we get baptized, usually everyone always asks, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ needs to be Lord and Savior of our life. I would say early on in my faith with Christ through high school and whatnot, I only wanted Jesus to be my Savior. I wanted that get-out-of-hell free card that I could just use at the end of my life in order to not get what I deserved. Um, kind of funny, I feel like at the end of junior high, my teacher made this comment where she was like, it, didn't, it took me until now to realize, but she was like, I think you were the worst or most dangerous student that I ever had. And I kind of took that as a compliment back then. But... Uh, the truth was, like, I never got in trouble, I never got detention, I never got yelled at, I never sat in the hall, because I knew exactly where the line was. And I, that wasn't an accident that I knew where the line was, it was from a lot of finding out. I was that kid that really liked to walk up to the line and be like, hey, someone else, don't you want to step over it and see what happens? So other people would get in trouble, they'd figure out what happens, and I never did. And she was like, I realized that, you know, you skirted that line pretty carefully. And I think in the way I related to God, the way I related to my parents, it was all that same thing. I skirted that line, right? I'd stop and say, I didn't want to get in trouble. It seems like more effort than it's worth, so to speak, but it really wasn't out of love, and it certainly wasn't out of Jesus being Lord of my life. So I think that kind of ruled early on in my relationship with Jesus. Thankfully, he humbled me pretty good um, post-college, and I would like to say that the way I related to Jesus um, was for the better. I saw him as Lord and Savior, that I needed both, that I needed to trust him in my life. But I think as these things often go, it's hard to stay in the right place. We drift side to side, we get lost. So if we see Jesus as only Savior, then he is our get out of hell free card. He pays the price for our sin, and luckily his credit is good, so we keep charging that account, and he'll pay for it. If we see Jesus as only Lord, we forget that we need a Savior. We think our good works have some merit. We think our knowledge and understanding have value in and of themselves. Now, I would say I, I fall into this trap all the time. I think the longer you are a Christian, the more you can realize that you need Jesus as Lord, but you forget that you need him as Savior as well. 
I think the time I put into this job, my work for this church, leading worship, any of those things would somehow be credit to me, that it would be like God would be pleased with it. But the truth is, John 15, 5 says, For I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think the flip side to that, this is what terrifies me, this verse, um, probably every day, maybe. Not quite. I'm not that bad, but this is Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Dear God, I pray that that is not um, true of me, God. Uh, I pray that it's not true of anyone in here. I pray that no one would ever hear those words on the day of judgment. In light of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior, we need to act in that way that he is both. And I think there's a danger of acting out any one of these four positions that a person can take. I think the first position is that you never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord or Savior. He's neither of those things to your life. You're Lord, you're in control, you're the Savior of your own destiny. Maybe you're good enough that you think your works will get you into heaven. But as we sang this truth in John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world, he gave his own one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I hope you recognize this morning that Jesus loves you. He really does. We don't just say that. We don't just sing it. But it is really the way that he wants to interact with us. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to walk into the light with him. He's paid the price for our sin. He's come into this world not to condemn it, not to point fingers, not to say how we are bad, but really to pick us up out of our darkness and into light. He wants to be in our world, in our lives, in ourselves, and recognize that darkness and run to him, the light. Now, if there's uh, part two of these four that we can kind of relate to Jesus Christ, we can see him, as I said, as Savior, but not Lord. This was me when I was in school. You know, I just wanted to get out of hell free card. I didn't want to uh, admit that he was Lord. I didn't want to turn over control of my life. And I will tell you from experience, if this is you, you're missing out. You really are. I was missing out. I saw that I was living in darkness. I saw that my heart was wicked and that somehow I needed someone to save me, but I just wanted to stay in the dark. I didn't want to come into his light. I wanted God to give me his grace and give me his forgiveness, but then just leave me in the darkness and leave me in control of my own life. Now, I think this especially applies to people later on in life. If you've been a Christian for a while, you have this part three outlook, which is, You've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, but you have forgotten that you need him as a Savior. Do you stand in the light and do you look down on people still in the darkness? Do you see people who don't get it right? Do you judge them? Do you get frustrated? Do you get angry? 
or do you have compassion? This one, I think, has been one that God is really working on me lately in life. Um, I think it's easy for me to get frustrated or angry with the behavior of others when they don't do exactly what I would do. Um, we were kind of joking in our life group, and I said that church would be great. My ideal vision of church would just be there were a bunch of me's, right? I just need 100 me's in this room, and everything would go exactly the way that I want it to. But really, God calls us to have compassion on the lowly, um, to see them. And really, I think the big key that my sister kind of pointed out to me was that if we, we recognize that they are missing out, that God has something better for us, and that really, when they're not seeing that, they're missing out. That's how I think we have compassion instead of just getting frustrated or angry with our own agendas. We need to never forget Romans 5.8 that says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think it's easy for us to forget that that is the truth. While we were sinners, we weren't good people. We weren't doing all right. And God said, hey, you're on the right track. Why don't you come along with me? No, we were sinners. We were dead in our sin. And God said, I would like to use you and love you and have a relationship with you. Now, it's easy for me to forget that. I've been in this church 10 years. We've done a lot of things. Probably could check off a lot of boxes. It was kind of funny to me this week. Um, for some reason, I was, it's simple math, but I was saying I've probably led worship here over 500 times at this point, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I feel like it doesn't mean anything for my salvation. What matters is if I'm walking with Jesus Christ, my Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. God, I just pray for your forgiveness when I want to boast in those works, when I want to boast in the amount of times that I've been up here, the amount of things that I would build, that I think that adds merit to myself, God. I just want you to recognize that what I want most is relationship with you, that those are what matter, that I am saved by grace alone in your son, Jesus. Amen. And finally, we have this fourth way that you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hopefully that's everyone here, right? Silence. It's good. It's good. I hope it's someone, at least, that you recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's both of those things. That is where we are meant to sit. I started off this sermon, or uh, the service, by reading Psalm 27, and this paints a picture of just the goodness that it is to just sit in the presence of our Lord and Savior. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. What an amazing thing it is to just sit in the light of God's presence, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life. It's my prayer for everyone here that we would be the first day of a new understanding for peace and living life with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, the last time that I preached, it was on uh, Acts 4, and there's this account in that where Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're asking them to give account of the things that they've done and whatnot. And uh, here it is in Acts 4, 11 through 13. Jesus, Paul responds to them asking, you know, why do you do these things, whatever it is. And he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. Um, I would know, right, because I did it last time. But I think there are a couple of things I just want to point out into this story, and it's really that with, that these men had been with Jesus. Now, really, I feel like the Sanhedrin only get that half right. They recognize that there's no possible way Peter, a fisherman, could have this wisdom and this understanding to answer them, that it could come from himself. And the truth is, it didn't. It didn't come from himself. But it wasn't just Jesus' words rubbing off on Peter. Um, we see many times in the Bible that Peter doesn't get it right. He oftentimes messes up, right? He, not, he denounces even knowing Jesus three times. He's like, no, I don't even know who he is. There's times where Peter just blurts things out. I think it's funny. Maybe it's no accident, but... Um, in junior high, when I was going through confirmation class, our pastor assigned um, people. He was like, this is your, who I see in you. This is your personality, I think, coming out in the Bible. And mine was Peter. You know, he was like, Luke, Luke says a lot. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes not so much. He misses it. But he goes for it like Peter does. But we see that it wasn't just Jesus rubbing off on Peter that the Sanhedrin thought it was. It was the fact that it was the Holy Spirit inside of him. There's this miraculous change in Peter when the Holy Spirit comes into him and fills him up. He goes from Peter kind of messing everything up to Peter getting everything right. This is Jesus's words here in John 16, 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, I being Jesus. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Thank God that we in his infinite wisdom that he has given us the Holy Spirit, our helper, that our advocate. He did not invite us to live life for him. He didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus, come follow me, because he knows we can't do that. We'll mess it up just like Peter did. But he says, hey, I want to live life with you. I want you to come with me. I will come inside of you, Holy Spirit. Now, there's a freedom when we realize God doesn't want our works. He doesn't want our lives. He wants us to dwell in the house of the Lord, sit in his presence, and live life in relationship with him. Now, I think it's funny for anyone who has small kids still at home, you know this truth, and that's that the kids are always with us. They're always there, day and night, um, waking us up every day, every second of things. There's always this seemingly like mama, dada, dada, mama happening. And I think it's a wonderful picture of just doing life with Jesus. He says we're supposed to have a childlike faith. We're supposed to be with him. Um, much like our kids are always with us at this point in our lives. Um, I'm reminded of this story. My apologies to Andrew, because um, it's kind of embarrassing for him. But this was a couple years ago. And uh, we always had our routine where we would tuck Lucy in for, our, for her nap. And every time Andrew would want to come with, so we'd get in her room, we'd read books, we'd all crowd in there. And uh, there was one day where he didn't want to come read books with us, right? And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. So I'm sitting in her room, reading books, like tucking her in. She's going to sleep. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, he probably has to go poop. That's the only reason why he would miss out on tucking in nap time. And sure enough, I'm sitting there. She's falling asleep. And I'm like, that's got to be what it is. And that little feeling as a parent started to like grow inside me where I'm like, something's not quite right. So I go downstairs. I hear the toilet running, turn the corner. And there he is mess and all, huge mess, right? The floor is covered in water out the hallway. It's wicked up everywhere. Just a horrible picture of what had happened. And I literally, I couldn't even move, I don't think, in that moment because God was showing me something and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. 
And it was literally where I didn't get mad at him. I wasn't like, what are you doing? Um, I just really felt God telling me, this is how I love you, and this is how I see you. I think there are times where we think, see, I'm so good. I'm polished up. I'm looking right. Andrew looked at me. He's like, don't worry, Dada. There was a problem, but I took care of it. And I'm like, in his mind, he did, right? He's like, oh, I took care of it. His solution was to flush the toilet a couple more times, even though it wasn't going down. And I think that's us oftentimes. We're like, see my good works? Isn't it so great? And we're just standing there in the bathroom, smearing water everywhere. And God looks down on us, and he has love and compassion. He says, you are mine. I want to do this with you. I recognize that you can't do it on your own. And I think it's a wonderful place for us to just see that our works don't really matter. They don't add up. We want to do them with God. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's impossible. But with him, we can do all things. As I look around this room in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about these values of our church. These are not works for us to do or accomplish on our own, but these are attributes of God that he calls us to walk out with him. The first one over there is this love God and others, but 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. God is love. He wants relationship with us. We are just coming alongside in that love. If we live life in relationship, he said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What a crazy idea. God, God of the universe who created all things, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 43, 3, God uses this language. He says, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He uses this personal language. I am your God. I'm not just God. I am your God, Israel. I am your Savior. As we read earlier before and as we sing, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God gave away the most amazing thing. Now, I don't know if you know, this is kind of an old, maybe we don't use it too often, begotten Son, begotten word. What it means is to father. You fathered a son. He gave us his only fathered son. And I thought it was interesting that he didn't just say his only son, but I think it's because God equates people that call him Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, as his sons and daughters. We are adopted into his family. It's like he has to make the distinction like Jesus is my fathered, personal fathered son, but you are all my sons and daughters. That's why I have to make that decision because you are really all sons and daughters with Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5 and 11 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I can't even imagine, because I'm not God, what that must have been like, but to just cram himself into the earthly being of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine God, infinite humbling himself to the point of a servant in human likeness. That is crazy. I can't imagine any more sacrifice that would give it away than the cross that came after that and him being obedient to death. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. As I look around this room, I'm just reminded that these are the works that God has done for us. We love because he first loved us. We live in relationship because he is God that has dwelt among us and wants relationship with us. He gave his only begotten son so that we would not perish because while we were sinners, we were the lost, each and every one of us. We were lost in our sin and God came and did each and every one of these things. He loved us so much, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, that we were lost and he came to us. He made himself nothing, made in human likeness, humbled himself, and became obedient to death on a cross. And we're in this series, that's why we do what we do, and I think the answer is simple. Why we do it is because Jesus Christ has already done it. This is what he has done for us. This is what he has finished for us. This is what he is constantly doing in this world, and he is just inviting us in one simple thing, and that is to recognize him as Lord and Savior, both of those things, and to join him in the work that he is doing. These things are not a list of things for us to do for God. If he's not your Lord and Savior, you don't need to do these things. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, you don't need to do these things. Why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible for you to do these things on your own. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He doesn't say he wants us to do these things. He doesn't say he wants us to earn favor with him or we should be doing these things first and then he'll come along with us. He wants us first to just acknowledge that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that we need him. Apart from him, we can do nothing and then join him in the good work that he is doing. We were every one of us lost and Christ came to us. He wants relationship with us. I pray we all want to relationship with him as badly as he wants it with us. If Jesus is not Lord and Savior, then living out the Christian life is impossible. If Jesus is just Savior, all you want is that get out of hell free card, then you honestly probably don't want to live life the way he wants you to. You don't want to do these values. They're hard. You just want to be in control and do your own life your way. If Jesus is just Lord, you probably get frustrated when people don't do these things. You probably look down on them. You probably get angry. You probably say, why don't they do them more often? But when Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior both of our life, then it is easy to just come alongside him in the good work that he is doing. It's easy for us to love God, to love others, because we are just walking with him in that love. Easy for us to just live in relationship, because he is a God of relationship. We are just walking along with that in him. We are following his example of giving it away, and we are recognizing that we are lost and that we need a Savior, that we are no better. We are saved by grace alone, so that no one may boast. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we just give you praise here this morning. We recognize that you are good. I thank you, God, for this lesson that you can uh, humble me, that I can recognize that it doesn't come from me, that I am not good, that my works don't add up, God, on their own, but that I need you. I thank you, God, that that uh, scripture that says, for I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except for me, God. I thank you for that message that it is not exclusionary, that it's not just, oh, wow, Jesus is the only way, but that you made a way. Without you, there is no way. No way exists, God. We thank you, though, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the light, and that what you want is relationship with us, that you want to come here into our lives, into this place, into our church, God, and build into us and work through us. God, I pray for this church. I pray for this um, meeting after this, God, all of these things. I pray that it would just start with renewed appreciation and relationship with your people here in this church, God. 
I pray that everyone would have a right understanding of how to relate to you, and that is that you are Lord, that you and you alone are God. You are the only holy God. You are the only one that is holy, perfect, set apart from this world, God. We want to just recognize that. I pray, God, that if there are any sort of small g gods in our lives, that those would be just abolished, God, that you would let us let go of those and that we would run to you, the one and true light. I pray as we read in John 3, 16, God, that we would just see you as the light that you have come into the darkness in love. I pray that you would not let us stay in that darkness, God, but that you would help us to run to you and run to the light. God, I pray that we would be a church where each and every one of us would be so full of you and your spirit walking with you that we would have the strength and to be bold, God. I recognize that you would just give us a faith like uh, Peter and John, that it's not that they were with Jesus in the physical sense in the Old Testament, God, but the same power that gives them the ability to speak in front of the Sanhedrin is the same power available to us. That is the Holy Spirit, God. And that is an amazing power. It's the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwelling in us. God, I thank you so much that this is the way that you have designed it, that we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to prove to ourselves, God. We don't have to clean up ourselves but that you come and you clean us up for us. I thank you, God, so much. God, give us a compassion that you have for the lost. God, give us um, just love and patience for you that would only come from you, God, that we can just be your light and your salt in this world, God. God, I pray um, just forgiveness for everyone here, for myself, most of all, the times that I have not represented Jesus Christ well, times I've been trying to do this on my own and I can't. God, I pray that times that people have seen that, when it's just me, that they would forget those times. God, that I would decrease and that you would increase, God. I pray that you would increase in this church, that your will and your purpose would go forward, that we would be people in one vision, heart, mind, and love, and that would be for your son, Jesus Christ, and him alone. We recognize that apart from him, we can do nothing, but that with him, we can do all things, God. I pray that that would be true for each and every person here. And in Jesus Christ's name, our Lord and Savior, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?